Hey guys, welcome to the Swerve Church Podcast. My name is Danny, the lead pastor. I pray that the message that you're about to hear is encouraging, uplifting, and honestly challenging as well. I want to invite you to join us in person Sundays at 11 a.m. at the Swerve Hub at 239 Stanhope Street, or catch church online at 11 a.m. on our YouTube or Facebook page. Thanks so much for tuning in, and I pray that you're blessed by today's message and that it helps draw you closer to Jesus. Yeah. Mr. Hobbs, it's me on the intercom. Go ahead. Yeah, I think someone sent you a Christmas gram. Dad! All right, uh, let's get it over with. I walked all day and night to find you. Uh, you look like you came from the North Pole. That's <laughs> exactly where I came from. Santa must have called you. Oh, yeah, sure. He uh, just got off the cell phone with me. You did? So, go on. Go on with what? Well, I, are you going to sing a song or something, or can I just go back to work? A song? Uh, yeah. Anything for you, Dad. Um, I, I'm, I'm here with my dad, and we never met, and he wants me to sing him a song. <laughs> and um, I was adopted, but you didn't know I was born. So I'm here now. I found you, Daddy. And guess what? I love you. I love you. I love you. Wow. Well. That was weird. You know, usually guys just, uh, you know, put my name in the jingle bells or something. It's me, your son. Susan Wells had me, and, and she didn't tell you, and, 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 but now I'm here. It's me, buddy. Susan Wells. You said Susan Wells? Yes. Who sent this Christmas gram? What's a Christmas gram? I want one. I think we should call security. Good idea. I like to whisper, too. It's okay, Walter's my father. Well, your dad's busy right now. Okay, I'll come back later. Yeah, no, you're not going to come back for a while, okay? You're going to go back to Santa Land. Okay. In the movie Elf, Buddy, played by Will Ferrell, he discovers that he actually isn't an elf, but that he's a human. And this puts him on a journey to connect with his biological father who works at a fancy firm in New York City. After a long journey from the North Pole, he finally finds his dad, who first thinks it's a joke, but when he realizes it's not, he wants absolutely nothing to do with Buddy. In fact, it takes a DNA test for his dad to finally come to grips that Buddy is truly his biological son. And as I was re-watching Elf in preparation for this message and, and looking at the relationship between Buddy and his father, I couldn't help but think about Jesus as the Son of God. And this is perhaps one of the most common ways that Jesus is referred to throughout the New Testament. In fact, you might remember from reading the Christmas narrative the time when an angel appeared to a young teenage girl who was engaged to be married. And she's told by the angel that she was chosen by God to give birth to a son whose name would be Jesus. And as you can imagine, the young Mary was frightened to have an angel approach her and tell her these things. And so she asked the angel, how can this happen? I'm not married yet. I'm a virgin. How is this thing going to happen exactly? And this is what the angel responds to her in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, here's what it says. The angel replied to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. The angel tells her that the Son that she would bear miraculously through the Holy Spirit would be the very Son of God. 
And this is exactly what we spoke about last week as well. Jesus is God in flesh, the second person of the Trinity, 100% God, 100% man. And this is what Christmas is all about. This is what we remember and celebrate during this Christmas season. The fact that God entered His creation as Jesus, the Son of God, to redeem mankind. And this is something that we see throughout the Scriptures. And this is important for us to be able to identify from the Bible because this is a core doctrine of Christianity. Uh, many different false teachings have risen teaching otherwise. Some even claiming to still be Christians while denying this essential truth. So before we get into what exactly it means for Jesus to be the Son of God, let me show you from the Scriptures where it communicates this fact. All right, first of all, you can write this down. The Bible confirms Jesus to be the Son of God. And the Bible is our ultimate authority. As Christians, we believe to have the very words of God written by human authors, reve revealed and preserved for us. The disciple John, in his gospel, helps us understand Jesus as the Son of God when he writes this. Let's read verse 1 and then jump down to verse 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed His glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John mentions this Word being present in the beginning with God, but also being God, which leaves us wondering, who is this Word? Who is, who is God? Well, we don't have to wonder because he tells us in verse 14, John says that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And this is a crystal clear declaration of Jesus, who is God, and who was in the beginning with God, and who became flesh. Some more evidence from the Bible is this. You can write this down. Jesus claims to be the Son of God. When Jesus is arrested and put on trial moments before He would be unjustly executed by Roman crucifixion, this interaction happens between Jesus and the high priest. And we read it towards the end of Matthew's Gospel. Look at what it says. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. This is Jesus' response. You have said it, but I tell you in the future you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Now look at his response, the response of the high priest. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has blasphemed. Why do we still need witnesses? See, now you have heard the blasphemy. The reaction of the high priest shows you the severity with which they understood Jesus' response. He tears his robes and says that what Jesus is saying is blasphemy. Why? Because Jesus claimed to be the Son of God. This is what ultimately leads to Jesus' crucifixion. It wasn't all the great things he did or the miracles he performed. It was because he claimed to be God. And lastly, you can write this down, Jesus accepts worship. There's several instances of this as well throughout the New Testament, but for the sake of time, I'll show you one. In the Gospel of Matthew, you might remember reading about a time after a busy day of ministry where the disciples head out and they're on a boat and they're dragged away by the wind and the waves. When all of a sudden, they see Jesus coming towards them, walking on the water. Jesus steps onto the boat, and then the wind ceases. What is the response of the disciples after seeing this and experiencing this? Matthew chapter 14 tells us, Then those in the boat worshipped Him and said, Truly you are the 
Son of God. And this happens several times throughout the New Testament, and not once does Jesus stop people from worshiping or revering Him. Why? It's because He was and is the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, and God Himself. So if someone comes to you and says that the Bible never claimed Jesus was God, you can very clearly communicate and show them the Bible claims Jesus to be God, Jesus claimed it Himself, and other people who interacted with Jesus worshipped Him as such. Which leads us to ask the question, what exactly does it mean for Jesus to be the Son of God? When you read the, when you read the prophecy given by the angel to the young Mary, and when you hear the angel claim that the child she would bear in birth would be the Son of God, what should be our understanding of this? And ultimately, how should that lead to us to respond? i got three big ideas for us today from the scriptures of what does it mean for Jesus to be the Son of God. Here's number one. Write this down. It speaks to His divine nature. I mentioned this last week that for the people in Jesus' day, they didn't need convincing of His humanity. They could see, touch, and hear Him right in front of them. But this idea of Him being divine and God Himself, that was the challenge. By the way, it was a challenge for people then, and it continues to be a challenge for many of us today as well. Uh, this is something that is so important for us to grasp because this truth has life-altering ramifications. And this is exactly the proclamation of Christmas, that the kingdom of heaven kissed the earth, that the divine met the flesh and came together in the birth of Jesus. If we go on reading the passage that we read earlier from John 1, he goes on to say this. So why don't we read this out loud? Read this with me together, okay? Read it out loud. You have it in your notes. Ready, go. No one has ever seen God the one and only Son, who is Himself God, and is at the Father's side, He has revealed Him. A clear declaration of the Son of God, who is Himself God, who traded the worship of angels and the throne to walk among us, to live like us, with the ultimate goal and purpose of living the sinless life that we were incapable of living, and dying in our place for the forgiveness of our sin. Now how is this good news to us? It's in the fact that the love of God came down to reach us. We have the good news of God being with us and among us. He did not leave us to our sinfulness and folly. We didn't deserve His grace and mercy, yet it is His abundant grace and mercy that we receive. In other world religions, their gods are distant. Their gods are wrathful and spiteful. In other religions, man is responsible for his salvation. He has to earn his salvation. He has to reach up and attempt to find God. They have to work harder, do more, be more religious, keep the letter of the law. And for many other religions, they can do all that and still not have a chance to experience salvation. Only in Christianity do we have a God who is so rich in mercy, so mighty to save, so abundant in kindness, that He would take the act of salvation upon Himself and enter into His own creation. Our arms are incapable of reaching up to heaven, but God's arms aren't too short to reach us. So God provides the means through Jesus, God incarnate, who is the Son of God and divine in nature. He is God with us and God among us. The second big idea in regards to Jesus as the Son of God is this, and please write this down in your notes. It speaks to His ability to abolish sin. If we go back to the Christmas story, you might remember Joseph, who's engaged to be married. He hears from Mary that she's pregnant, but that the baby that she's carrying is God, but she promises she's been faithful to Him. 
What Joseph does, what probably any man would do in that situation, he gets cold feet and he considers breaking off the engagement quietly. Remember, guys, that this is a culture that took things like purity and marriage and faithfulness and family seriously. I, I know, what a crazy thought that people would honor God through their relationships and remain pure sexually until marriage and have babies and raise a family. I, I know, super archaic, right? But as he's considering this, an angel appears to Joseph to confirm what Mary had already known. We read it in the Gospel of Matthew. And we, let's, let's read this out loud together. Okay, ready? Ready, go. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. The angel tells Joseph, no, no, this baby is special. I know it doesn't make any sense, but this baby is the son of God. And he has a very specific job as the son of God, and it will be to save people from their sins. The testament we see throughout scripture is that we are sinful by nature and choice. And because of our sin, the Bible says that we, what we deserve is death and eternal separation from God. But instead we receive Jesus as God's solution to the sin problem we have. And his role and job is to save us from our sins. This is the same thing that John the baptizer mentions of his cousin Jesus. By the way, what would it take for your cousin to be convinced that you're the son of God? Yet, this was the conclusion that John came to. And he says this in the Gospel of John, chapter 1. Here's what it says. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, Look, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. How is this good news to us? Our sins are forgiven, not because of anything that we did or could do, but because of what one man did, the God-man Jesus Christ. He shouldered the cross. He withstood from sin. He endured the horrific, barbaric, and humiliating death to be the once-for-all atonement and sacrifice for our sin, able to satisfy the just wrath of God. And because of this selfless and sacrificial act, we are forgiven. Our sins are no more. For those who have placed their faith and confidence in Christ, the Bible says that as far as east is from the west, so far He has removed our sins from us. And here's the good news. When it comes to Jesus, the Son of God, and His ability to abolish sin, sin no longer has a grip on me. I'm set free. I'm forgiven. The Bible says that God casts our sin into the sea of forgetfulness. The Bible says He washes away our sin and makes us white as snow. When God looks down on us because of Jesus, He sees us clothed in Christ's righteousness. He doesn't see us as the sinners that we are, but as covered by the blood of Jesus. Which is why the old hymn says, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. If you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, make no mistake about it. Someone has to pay for your sins. Why would you pick up that eternal tab when Jesus has already done it for you? This is good news for you too. Your sins can be forgiven by putting your faith in Christ's finished work on the cross. Jesus, the Son of God, it speaks to His divine nature, it speaks to his ability to abolish sin. And lastly, write this down, number three, it speaks to his power over life and death. Here's something that is true for every single one of us. It is statistically proven that 10 out of 10 people will die. Nobody likes to talk about it or think about it, but no one is promised tomorrow. And you guys know this already, but our world is jacked up. We've got sickness, famine, Crime, premature deaths, cancer, plagues, and pandemics. And unfortunately, death is something that is coming for all of us. 
You can avoid talking about it or avoid thinking about it, but it is an unfortunate reality of life. Did you ever consider what happens after this life? What happens after our heart stops beating? No doubt you have, just as many have throughout the ages. And that's because eternity is written on our hearts. If you've ever lost a loved one, then you know just how painful of an experience this is. No matter how secure you are in your faith, it still hurts your heart to see someone that you love in a casket. And this is the pain that was felt by Jesus and the family of a man by the name of Lazarus. In fact, within this story, we find the shortest verse in the whole Bible, which also gives us even more insight into the humanity of Jesus as we see Jesus weeping over the death of his friend. Amidst the pain and the heartache of losing a loved one, Lazarus's sister falls at Jesus' feet when he finally arrives at the graveside of her brother and says something to the effect of, Jesus, if, if you would have been here, we, we would have been all right. You could have healed him, but you weren't here, Jesus. And Jesus' response to her gives us insight into this last truth about his role as the Son of God. He says this in John chapter 11. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. What is Jesus alluding to here? He's connecting the fact that he has power over life and death. And that not only is he mighty to save by means of forgiving sin, but that his power is able to transcend this life and bleeds over into eternity. Our sin not only merited God's wrath, but also merited eternal separation from Him. At the root of it, that's what sin is. Sin is our desire to do things our way apart from obedience and submission to God. Therefore, eternal separation of God is the natural conclusion of sin. It's getting what we want. And apart from the intervention of God, this is what's coming. An eternity away from God, an eternity away from His goodness, His mercy, His forgiveness, His grace... It's getting the just payment owed for our sin. But guys, Jesus is the Son of God. God has made another way available for us, and it's through Christ's work. This is why we read the most precious, powerful, grace-filled words in the Gospel of John. Let's read this out loud together. Let's read this with great energy this morning. For God loved the world in this way. He gave His one and only Son so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Guys, this is good news. This is good news for us this morning. This is why when you see that nativity scene this Christmas, it's good news. Because God did not leave us to our own devices. He intervened. He stepped in. God entered human history by means of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. The bad news is that 10 out of 10 people die. This is a reality that is true of each and every single one of us. But here's the thing. What happens after we die is contingent on a decision that we make right now while we're alive. The Bible says that for those who have put their faith in Christ, their eternities are secured, their sins are paid for. And we can say, like Paul, that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. This is great news as well, because this means that all the pain and all the suffering that we all see around us in this world will come to an end. We won't experience sickness and tragedy and chaos 
Because after this life, in eternity, there's only peace and perfection and wholeness in the presence of God for those in Christ Jesus. This gift of forgiveness of sin and new life is available to everyone and anyone. It's free, but it's not cheap. It came at a price. It was the laying down of Christ's life and His conquering over the grave. And if you're here today and you've yet to receive this gift, what are you waiting for? Today is the day of salvation. Put your faith in Christ, not in religion, not in church, not in charity. Put it in Jesus alone because only Jesus is mighty to save. And guys, as we continue through the Christmas season, we remember and celebrate the fact that love came down to rescue us through the person and work of Jesus, the Son of God. Let's pray. God, we thank you, God, that you are mindful of us. You did not leave us to our own demise, but instead, God, you set into motion a plan of redemption. We acknowledge, God, that it is against you that we have sinned, but we praise you that you are a most gracious and merciful Father who abolished sin through the work of Christ. Lord, we know death approaches each of us, but we know that you have power over life and death. We know that our eternities are secure through Christ's work. So Holy Spirit, empower us to live our lives for your glory. We trust and long for eternity and to be in your presence, God. God, while we're here, help us to be about your business, spreading the gospel and seeing our neighbors come to know you. And for those this morning, for the, for the, for the first time, Lord, are truly coming to grips with Jesus, the Son of God, Help them cross the threshold of faith and put their faith and confidence in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Guys, I truly pray and hope that you were challenged and encouraged by today's message. I want to take a second to invite you to join us in person. We're gathering this Sunday at 11 a.m. at the Swerve Hub, 239 Stanhope Street, right here in Bushwick, Brooklyn. And come on over, join us, come to the Swerve Hub. Let's worship together. Let's get together. Let's worship God together. Let's learn and grow together. Let's fellowship together. Why don't you come on out and join us in person this Sunday?